The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Please open your Bibles to today's scripture reading, Psalm 27, 1 through 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Welcome again to this gathering of Redeemer Community Church. Keep praying for that breeze to come. Don is more righteous than I. The breeze was blowing. Wait, I just felt it as I said that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Lord is good, merciful, and gracious. Uh, before I, I dive into Psalm 27, you heard Don pray a, a little bit earlier about some of the things going on with the building, and I just want to let you know, particularly if you're new here, that at Redeemer, we're in, in the midst of an initiative that we've called It's Time, where we're focusing on building, partnering, and going with the gospel over the next about a year and a half. Uh, we are working on building a building on some land so that we'll have a permanent place and a permanent tool for discipleship and the worship of the Lord. And we're partnering with other church plants and we're sending families and missionaries to the field as well. If you're new here and you haven't joined in on that initiative, you haven't learned more about it, I want to invite you to do that sometime maybe later today or this week. Go on our website. There's, uh, there's a little link to RCC It's Time, and you can click there and see what that's all about. We'd love for everyone to be a part of what we're doing to build, partner, and go over the next year and a half. Well, today, I have really one thing to say. I'm asking the Lord to help us change the inner dialogue that goes on in our minds, or monologue, when we're afraid. I want the Lord to change how we talk to ourselves when we're afraid. I had to do this as a kid in a sort of superficial way. I was, uh, every, every few months, six times a year, I was flying back and forth between Texas and Michigan, as an unaccompanied minor, is going back and forth between mom and dad's house. And, and I remember on those planes, you know, there were a lot of really cool things about getting to do that. One is I would get 5 or $10, whatever it was, to spend on whatever lunch I wanted. So I could have like Cinnabon if I wanted. And no one would ask and no one would care. It was great. I had this independence, right, as a kid. But there were some things about it that were scary. And one thing was turbulence. Uh, whenever we'd hit bumps in the air, I'd just start thinking like, you know, when is a wing going to fall off? And I had to change how I thought about that because I realized if I'm going to be on a plane six times a year, like I can't be doing this. I can't be stressed out about this every single time. So I, I started doing some research and learning how planes are built, how wings are manufactured and tested and how they're stress tested and how they're maintained. And I learned that they're, they're just way overbuilt for uh, anything they'll possibly encounter in a normal flight, that wings don't just come off planes and so then the next time I would get on planes, I would 
So I would feel that fear, right? I'd feel that thing bubbling up within me when there's turbulence, like that wing's going to fall off. And then I would start talking to it. And I'd say, you know how these things are built. You know what's in there. You know how many rivets go into this? I mean, I didn't know the number of rivets. I'm not like that. But, uh, but I knew that they were overbuilt and, and stress tested and all that. And it helped me deal with that fear in the moment. It helped quiet it. Now, this was before I knew the Lord, and that was just learning about facts. So one way to face your fears is to learn the facts, and that can be helpful. But today what I want to say is uh, that we ought to face our fears by seeking the face of the Lord. That as Christians, we have an incredibly deep resource to draw on, the Lord God himself, when we're afraid. So face your fears in the, by, by coming to the face of the Lord. We're in Psalm 27. It's a beautiful, beautiful psalm, and it's so instructive for us. I, have, I hope you have it open in front of you as we walk through it. When we go through this psalm, we're going to let it lead us to ask three questions. The questions are, what do you do with your fear? What do you do when you feel abandoned? And then what future are you sure of? What do you do with your fear? What do you do when you feel abandoned? And what future are you sure of? Let's see how this psalm leads us to some practical steps to dispel our fears in the face of God. The first question is, what do you do with your fear? Now, there is, without a doubt, a lot going on in the church and in the world right now that could cause fear. And I thought about maybe I just list some of them, but I don't know if that would help you. But there's all kinds of things. Just think about it for a second that can cause us fear. And if we're honest, sometimes that fear gets to us. It tempts us. Sometimes it even drives us. And so what I want to do is list, not list, but point you to what David did with his fear. The first thing to notice in this psalm is that David felt afraid, or at least he was tempted to fear. He says there in verse one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall, be, shall I be afraid? Now, whatever you do, please don't read these verses and think that what is being said here is that as a Christian, you should never feel fear. Don't come away with, from these verses say, of whom shall I be afraid? Oh, that means I should never be afraid. No, slow down a minute. What is it that moved David to speak to his heart in the way that he does in these verses. Well, he goes on to tell us in verse 2 and 3, he says, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though the war arise against me, yet I will be confident. So what prompted David to say, Whom shall I fear? He had some legitimate things to be afraid of. People literally wanted to kill him. War was at his doorstep. So David, hear this, David isn't some sort of fairy person who's never gone through anything hard, and he kind of floats around on a cloud, and whenever there's somebody afraid, he's like, hey, knock it off, why are you scared? Don't you know we have a good God? That's not how he is. He's gone through terrible things, and we know from so many other Psalms that David weeps before the Lord. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Later in this Psalm, he's going to cry out to God in verse 7. So David wrote these words not to dismiss fear, but he wrote them to, because he was tempted by fear, he wrote them to speak to his own heart in the midst of 
reason to be afraid. So what did he do? He's, he's afraid. What's he going to do with it? Look again at verses 1 through 3. When David felt fear, he remembered the Lord and preached to his heart. Look in those verses and see if I'm right about that. When he felt fear, he remembered the Lord and he preached to his heart. He looked back. He remembered all the times that the Lord had saved him from trouble. That's what it means when he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. He's looking back to times when God has saved him, when God has delivered him out of trouble, delivered him in battle, delivered him when people who should have loved him wanted to kill him. And then based on the Lord's past faithfulness to him personally, David reminds himself that his enemies will stumble and fall. He says, my heart will not fear, I will be confident. He's preaching to his heart. He's preaching remembrance of what the Lord has done in his own life to his heart. So I'll ask you, Redeemer family, has the Lord been faithful to you? I don't just mean in the abstract, in a disconnected way, but has he been faithful to you personally? Can you point to times in your life when he has been your personal stronghold? If you don't know him personally like that, I wonder if you really have yet been saved. And I don't mean by that that you have to have some dramatic salvation experience, uh, but I just mean, do you know him personally? Have you tasted and seen for yourself that the Lord is good? If so, remember that he's been good to you. Earlier we sang that song, Come Thou Fountain. There's a verse in there. You remember it? Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thine help I come. What is an Ebenezer? besides that guy in A Christmas Carol. And Ebenezer is, it's a Hebrew word for a stone of help. It comes from 1 Samuel chapter 7, when the Lord delivered Israel from battle miraculously, and Samuel the prophet sets up a stone, he calls it the stone of help, so that any time an Israelite sees that pillar, they would remember the Lord's faithfulness. And these Ebenezers are scattered throughout the Old Testament. Uh, pillars to remember that the Lord brought them through the Jordan and into the promised land. So my question for you is, what are your Ebenezers? How are you remembering the Lord's faithfulness to you in your past? Do you have a journal? Do you have something written, uh, hung on the wall? Do you have pictures you look at? How do you remember the Lord's faithfulness and goodness to you? Do you keep track of answered prayer in some way? What are your Ebenezers? For me, the Lord has met me in prayer in times of deep, deep distress and has calmed my soul. I can think of a handful of times where in prayer he would meet me and, and give me a sense of his love that overwhelmed me, led me to tears. Sometimes I've gone for a long time in darkness before the Lord has met me, but he's always been with me. What are your experiences with the Lord? How are you remembering them? The next time you're afraid, can you remember the Lord's past faithfulness to you personally? Can you call that to mind and preach God's goodness to your own soul? See, that's where David started. Remember and proclaim. Remember and preach to your heart. And then let's let verses 4 through 6 build on that. Not only did David remember and proclaim, but David also replaced his fear with gazing and praising. He replaced his fear with gazing and praising. He didn't just speak to the fear that he was feeling. He also sought to replace it with gazing on God and praising God. Look at verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, why? 
to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Why would he want to do that? Verse 5, because the Lord will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He'll conceal me under the cover of his tent. My head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of praise and joy. I'll sing and make melody to the Lord. Do you see how good this is? How beautiful it is that David wants to gaze upon the Lord. He wants to contemplate the goodness of God in the midst of his fear, in the midst of these circumstances where people are lined up to kill him. He wants to contemplate the beauty of God. You see, when we're afraid, we can't just yell at our hearts to stop it. Like uh, Bob Newhart's therapist in that sketch, if you all know what I'm talking about. You can't just, (laughs) go look it up later. You can't just tell yourself, stop being afraid. You've got to fill it with something else. You've got to replace it. When the bigger threats and uncertainties and anxieties come in life, just saying stop it isn't enough. You've got to replace it. It's a little something like the sermon Thomas Chalmers preached called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, which is another great thing you should go look up sometime. In his sermon, he's talking about loving God, and he says you can't just stop loving the world and stop sinning. You've got to fill that need with something else. You've got to fill that with love for God. You've got to supplant it. So what I'm saying in the context of this psalm is replace your vision of what it is that's making you afraid with a vision of the beauty of God. Contemplate God's goodness and beauty when you feel fear. See, David had this one desire, this one thing he was chasing that wasn't safety, it wasn't comfort. It was to live his life in the presence of the Lord, in the house of the Lord, gazing on the Lord's beauty. This is why we pray and read our Bibles, isn't it? It's not to just say we did. It's because we want to encounter the beauty of the Lord who's made himself known in the scriptures. We want to encounter his beauty when we come to him in prayer. It's why we meet with the church every week, not because we're beautiful here, Don said everybody was handsome earlier. He's so nice. Y'all are handsome. But that's not why we come. We come because the Lord is beautiful. We gather to contemplate the goodness of the Lord and see the work of the Lord, the beautiful work of the Lord in each other's lives. It's why we go out and serve the poor, try to reach the lost, because the Lord is beautiful. We want others to look on his beauty. This is the opportunity we have when we open the scriptures to see the beauty of the Lord it's the opportunity that we have when we pray. You know, there's a sense, there's a sense in which you're already praying all the time, or at least you're already always contemplating something. What percentage of your contemplation is to yourself about your own fears? I'm just saying, let's redirect that. Let's redirect that to the contemplation of God. You're having some conversation in your head already. Is it God-centered? Can we redirect it? Next time you notice that your inner thoughts are meditating on and contemplating that uncertain and unpredictable and anxiety-producing future, take control of your thoughts and gaze on the beauty of God instead. Open the word to almost any page and say, Lord, show me your face. Maybe you're driving somewhere and you notice there's a pit in your stomach about the meeting you're about to head into. Or... There's a pit in your stomach, you're just, you have this maybe quiet moment alone, and you start reflecting on that thing that's coming up in two months, and fear starts to well up in you. Take that moment and dwell on the goodness of God. Maybe say out loud, Lord, I'm afraid of this thing that's going to happen. 
but you're good. You're beautiful. I'm afraid of this future, but you know the future. You know the end from the beginning. You're high and lifted up. I'm afraid that when this happens, I'm going to be in a bad place, but Lord, I know you're going to care for me, whatever comes. You've been my help in times past, and you'll see me through. And maybe you need to say to him, I'm not just saying that, Lord, but I believe it. Help my unbelief. Take that moment of anxiety to the Lord in prayer. Let him meet you there. When you fear, gaze upon the Lord with the eyes of your heart. Bring to mind his presence. What did David do with his fear? He remembered God, and then he replaced his fear with gazing on God and praising God. Let's talk about praising. Verse 6, David says, I'll offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I'll sing and make melody to the Lord. You see, David so longed to be in God's temple. He longed to be in the presence of God, to shout God's uh, God's praises with joy and song. So in addition to prayer, you can replace that running dialogue in your head with singing. Some of y'all just said, no, I'm never going to do that. Find a place where you're alone and sing. Sing to the Lord. You know, this is a little bit of an aside, but this is in large part why we're working together to build a building and actually why we're paying attention to architectural details of the worship space. We want to be able to hear each other sing. Do you know how encouraging it is for your neighbor here, the person sitting to your right and left, to hear you sing God's praises when we get together as a church? You say, I don't do that. Well, then you're not encouraging them. (laughs) Let them hear you. It's encouraging when you're way out of tune. It's so encouraging. Be a part of the congregation singing God's praises. And do you know that that will minister to you? And then practice that, rehearse that when you're on your own. Sing God's praises when you're on your own, when you're afraid. Sing to the Lord. Put on a great Christian song or hymn in the car and sing along with that. If you have to turn it up so loud you can't even hear yourself, it helps. Just just sing to God. Let your running dialogue about your fears drive you to sing praise to God. So what did David do with his fears? He remembered God's faithfulness and proclaimed it to himself, and he replaced his fear with gazing and praising. And we have even greater grace to praise God for and to gaze on God's beauty for, as we're going to see later. But before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about the second question that this psalm raises. We've asked this question, what do you do with your fear? The second question is similar. It is, where do you go when you feel abandoned? Where do you go when you feel abandoned? Or where do you go when you feel like you might be betrayed, rejected? In verses 7 through 12, let's watch what David does with that feeling. In short, he seeks the face of the Lord. Listen to what he says, verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. You see, David, when he's been rejected, even by his parents, seeks the face of Yahweh. He goes to Yahweh to see him. He wants to see the Lord himself. Whose face do you seek? Whose presence do you seek above all? Whose love and affirmation are you after? Is it your spouse? Do you want your spouse's approval above all? 
singles? Is it your hope for future spouse? Does your singleness define you? Is it your boss's face that you are seeking? Or maybe their boss's? Is it your children's? Is that relationship the most important to you? Maybe it's your parents. David's own parents had forsaken him. When every other relationship in the world is gone, he knew that the Lord would take him in. Do you you have that kind of relationship with the Lord? Are you seeking it? You see, people will always fail us. Can I get an amen? Have you ever been let down or disappointed or unmet expectations? People will always fail us. Your parents have failed you. Your children will fail you. Your church will. Your elders will. Your boss will. Your employees definitely will fail you. Every one of us will face lots of unmet expectations from people, and almost all of us will face betrayal at some point in our lives. Where will you go? Where will you turn? David sought the Lord who will take him in. Even the feeling of betrayal can bring us back to the presence of God. That's the example of David here. And we have even more reason to be confident that the Lord Yahweh will take us in, as I've already alluded to. From where we sit in history, we can look back and see that God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to forgive us for all the ways we've turned our back on God. See, we broke the relationship with him. By nature, we seek our own desires, not the face of the Lord. By nature, we follow our own way. We don't follow the way of the Lord that's mentioned in verse 11. Isaiah tells us we all go our own way. We like sheep have all gone astray. The Lord, therefore the Lord would be fully just to turn us loose. And let us go be alone forever and ever. But while we were yet sinners, in the fullness of time, God sent his son to redeem us and to reconcile us, to make atonement for our sins through his death. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, the Lord came near through Emmanuel, God with us, in order to make us alive together with Christ. We'll dive more into Romans 8 this fall, but Romans 8, 1 tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're in Christ Jesus, you can be confident that the Lord will take you in. No matter what happens, no matter what you've done, no matter who abandons you, the Lord will take you in. Christ has forgiven and cleansed and has made new. And if, we're, uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us Remember how the Apostle Paul puts it later in Romans 8, starting in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more he has been raised. Skipping forward, he's, Paul says, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So next time you feel betrayed, and you feel alone, and you feel like those whom you love have left you, or like they're about to leave you, who will you go to? Will you seek the face of the one who will take you in? 
He'll always take you in. He'll not turn us away in anger. His wrath has been poured out on Christ in our place. And we are now and forever welcome before the throne of God. Seek the face of the Lord. Look again at verse 11 and 12. David asks God to teach him God's ways. David's enemies are lying about him. When people are lying about you, walk in God's ways. Focus on following the Lord who himself was lied on and betrayed, right? Jesus Christ was accused of things he hadn't done. And yet, he made it through death to the other side. He faced ultimate betrayal. So now whatever betrayal we go through, we have in Christ a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, in our suffering. He knows what we're going through, and he's going to bring us through. And speaking of bringing us through, we need to move on to the third question. We've asked, what do you do with your fear? And where do you go when you feel abandoned? The third question is, what are you sure of about your future? What are you sure of about your future? See, David countered fear in his heart with what he was sure of, what he was certain of. In verse 13 and 14, he says, I believe, some translations say, I am certain that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. See, despite the threat of death surrounding him, David was certain that he would see the Lord in the land of the living. He trusted that God would bring him through to worship him yet again in the sanctuary. Now, you and I, again, have even greater reason to be certain that the Lord will bring us through. We have even greater reason than David to be certain of our future. Jesus Christ is the heir to David. He's the heir of the throne. And he is the, the one who has shown us even greater grace than King David saw in his life. We who are united to Jesus by faith know that, that Jesus has died in our place, was buried, and has raised from the dead. And that he is therefore the first fruits from the resurrection, which means he's coming back. And after you die, you'll be raised to live with him forever and ever. You can say with all confidence, I know I will see the Lord in the land of the living. And by the land of the living now, we don't just mean tomorrow, which is true. You can see the Lord's presence in tomorrow and praise God for it. But by land of the living now, we mean forever and ever where there'll be no more death anymore, where there'll be no more betrayal anymore, that we'll be in his presence and it won't be hard to seek his face. You won't have to transmute your fears and bring them before the Lord in prayer because you won't have fears and you will see the Lord. And you'll be like him because you'll see him as he is. Do you know, are you certain that you'll see the Lord in the land of the living? Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God, in the presence of God, making intercession for us. If you are in him, you will be with him when he comes to bring his new heavens and new earth here. You can know. And if you know, if you're certain, wait. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take courage in your heart. Wait. My favorite theologian is Tom Petty, who's not a theologian. Go look it up. Tom Petty said, the waiting is the hardest part. 
Every day you get one more yard. You take it on faith. You take it to the heart. The waiting is the hardest part. Well, we're waiting, sure, but he's with us. We're waiting, but we know the future is certain. We're waiting, but we have each other to come sing with. We're waiting, but we know that we can get together and pray. We're waiting, but there's a ministry here. If you can't pray your fears to the Lord, you can talk to anybody else here this morning and say, will you pray for me and my fears? And they'll stop and pray with you before we leave today. We're waiting, but we're with him now. He's with us now, and one day we'll be with him. So what will you do with the fear you feel later today? The fear you feel later tomorrow? Will you remember God's faithfulness in your past? Will you contemplate his beauty? Will you praise him with loud singing? Will you seek his face? Will you walk in his ways? Will you take courage while we wait? You are already going to meditate on your fears. Take them to the Lord. Let them drive you to the face of the Lord. And then let this work out in your life. For example, how much of what, for those of you who post on social media, how much of what you post on social media is fear-driven? What if it were faith-driven? What if... Instead of reading and feeling fear and then reacting, you post it out of faith. What would that change in your feed? Or how much of the relational friction you feel in your life, maybe at church or in other places, is because you're living in fear, you're afraid of what other people think, you're afraid of what they're going to say. How much of it is because of the fear in your heart that you're not dispelling in the face of the Lord? I don't know whether it's possible to get there, but I know it's possible to get closer. What if every time you felt fear, you took it to the Lord? What if every time you felt fear, you recognized it as such? You didn't call it anger. You didn't run away from it. But you just saw, look, I'm scared right now. And you took it to the Lord. You remember the time, this wasn't planned, the Holy Spirit did this. We already heard some of these verses earlier in the service. Remember the time when Jesus' disciples were in the boat and there was a storm raging and Jesus was asleep and the water was coming in and they were in a panic. You could say they sought his face. They woke him up, and they said, Rabbi, don't you care that we're going to die? And what did he say? Well, first he just got up and dealt with the problem. (laughs) He rebuked the wind and the waves. He said, silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and said, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Do you know him? Seek his face. If you don't know him, pray Psalm 27, verse 8 today. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Come into his presence with gladness and with your fears. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to let our fears drive you to your face. We have to confess to you that that we downplay our fears. We try to act like we'll just handle it, whatever it is or like it's not a big deal, or we just meditate on them and we don't think about you, or we try to short-circuit them, Lord, and we we say, oh, I know I shouldn't be afraid, and and, and we quote a scripture verse at ourselves maybe, and we don't really take our fear to you. I pray that we would be a people, that Redeemer would be a church where we genuinely come before you with our real fears and open up our hearts to you and that there you would deal with us, and that you would minister to us, that you would help us.
Lord, help us to meditate on these words of Psalm 27 all this week, that we might take our fears before you, that you would beat us there and encourage us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.